All right. Well, I think I'll get started. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, I know uh, everybody's probably uh, getting together with their families and uh, hopefully doing so safely and, and trying to enjoy the holiday. So baking pies. Uh, yeah, making pies. Um, and, uh, you know, our best wishes to everybody and a happy Thanksgiving uh, tomorrow. Uh, I don't have a ton this evening. Uh, like, like we were saying, the, the news around drones and UAS right now is pretty slow. We are currently on a waiting pattern to see uh, when the remote ID uh, rules drop. Um, and once that happens, uh, we will go through the same cycle that we went through with the NPRM where we uh, pull it, we review it, we break it down um, for the general public uh, because reading regulations is definitely no fun. And, uh, you know, when we can break it down into an easier to read format and condense it from, you know, before the NPRM was like 219 pages into, you know, <clears throat> maybe three or four pages, uh, I think we even broke down the NPRM into like a one pager um it makes it a whole lot easier to digest and figure out what's going on so i can't imagine that the final ruling will have fewer pages than the proposal yeah well you know (laughs) hopefully they took some stuff out you know that would be great you know although technically don't they have to fill it with all kinds of uh justifications and answers to some of the the comments yeah i i think so dave you would probably know better on that than i would i believe they do uh, okay. So, yeah, the the front matter will be uh, in you know some level of response to the fifty three thousand uh, uh, comments. Yeah, that could so, be a couple pages. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it would be nice to read those and see you know what what their thoughts were on all of uh, what what the uh, community and and uh, the industry kind of gave them for feedback on that. So <laughs> yeah, it'll be <clears throat> hey FPVFC, thanks for the comments, but we're going a different direction. <laughs> right, right. You know, like ASTM. So, you know, funny story about ASTM, and I'm going to kind of segue real quick into uh, the ASTM standard. Let me see. Um, so let me drop this real quick. It wasn't this article, but... Oh, oh, hey. It would help if I did it the proper way. Okay, so... Um, the FAA and NASA have completed their phase two demonstrations for UTM. And uh, in this project, uh, all the different participants were using the ASTM standard. Um, let me see if I can find that article real quick where it talks about that. Hold on one sec. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, where'd it go? Where'd it go? There we go. Um, and the different companies had to basically use the ASTM standard to, for remote, essentially remote ID so that they could be tracked by the UTM and they had to figure out the, uh, ways of, um, utilizing that and making it all work, uh, with the UTM. So the funny thing is, is they want to steer away from the ASTM standard, but yet, they're utilizing it for their UTM pilot program. So, and let me drop this link in real quick. So uh, it kind of makes it a little weird. So in this second article that I um, popped in there from SUIS news, um, it says the ASTM standards provided a viable framework for UTM service providers to communicate with one another. Remote identification, conformance monitoring, and strategic deconfliction and other functions that ASTM specifies demonstrated the feasibility of the CONOPS. All of the work behind the ASTM standards enabled OneSky to operate within or with other USSs to give pilots the enhanced situational awareness they need to safely fly in busy environments. So, you know, I mean, it's like... We're, we're operating it successfully over here on the left hand, yet we're rejecting it as a method of remote identification on the right hand. So, you know, I don't quite understand the, I mean, in the NPRM, they just basically said, we're not going to be utilizing the ASTM standard. Right. And or, there was no justification or, behind it. Or input 
from ashore or the arc or the input from the deck. Right. So I, I, I think they're going to have to walk some of that back, particularly because they've uh, described that the future of the FAA is a reference based rulemaking. And so correct. Look, looking to uh, organizations like ICAO and uh, ASTM and other standards, you know, formation bodies are, as are what they're going to do. Right. So, um, you know, for those who don't know, the UTM pilot program, it was basically centered around the airport in uh, Rome, New York. Um, and they were basically conducting UAS operations right around there and anywhere from one to 15 different uh, UASs up in the air at the same time over a relatively busy uh, airspace. And that was basically what the program was, what, what the tests behind it were, is being able to, you know, conduct operations in a bus uh, high density um, area for air traffic. So um, pretty interesting that they wrapped that up. Interesting that they uh, are using ASTM. Um, but uh, it'll be, uh, I mean, it'll be good in, in one form as they kind of develop the UTM. Uh, everybody kind of walked away from the test saying that UTM was fairly uh, uh, successful and uh, is growing into a mature kind of system. So uh, that was pretty interesting. Did this article go into the new program, the IPP replacement called Beyond? Um, I think so. I think it's going to be kind of rolled it up into that. Um, mm -hmm. But it didn't like touch. I, this article that I, I'm reading did not touch base on Beyond uh, in okay. here. It was more just the takeaways from that particular uh, project. Okay. So. Um, the biggest, uh, issue actually during this project was GPS accuracy. Um, so while the, the actual, um, unit or the UAV was within like the bounding box of their, their project, the GPS positions, uh, sometimes had anywhere from a five to 45 meter accuracy issue, which, uh, often placed the, um, UAS uh, digitally outside of its basically area of operation, whereas technically, I mean, I mean, in all actuality, it was within its its area. So uh, one of the call outs in this was, uh, you know, that GPS uh, accuracy and uh, making sure that, you know, the GPS uh, receivers are uh, you know, basically higher caliber units to, you know, uh, maintain that accuracy. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty interesting. But that was one of the big key takeaways. Yeah. As uh, anybody who's used GPS knows there's a lot of things that can interfere with it and cause it to be less than accurate. Absolutely. I mean, I know, uh, like, going into a building with a metal roof, like, your, your accuracy goes way, way down, um, like, even just on your phone um or the number of satellites you're connected to or you know tree cover valleys yeah magnetic yeah, interference yeah. absolutely so the more satellites you can connect to the or the more constellations i guess yeah. is the proper term uh the more accurate it's going to be because it's taking that that data from multiple positions um so uh yeah kind of Interesting. Uh, I also have this, and this actually came down as an email from the FAA that uh, we were kind of passing around internally. But uh, the FAA did publish uh, some UAS airworthiness criteria, and these are focused on uh, 10 different companies uh, who are uh, basically putting forward um, uh aircraft UAS for certification. And, um, I haven't done a huge amount of digging on this. Dave, you probably can speak a little better to this, but I did do reading on, um, some of the air of, of these, uh, of these UASs and man, it's very detailed. The information that they're looking for. 
Yeah, I I read a couple of them, and they they do appear that they did a a copy and paste largely, which is good. So that, uh, and uh, it's also and Alex brought up the point uh, on um, gosh, you know, there's no reference to remote ID in any of this, and I think that's correct. And I and I I thought, oh well, maybe part one thirty five and part ninety one mm -hmm. transport and cargo are covered. Uh, by the remote ID, that's what I've been looking at, and I'm not sure. So I, I need to dig into uh, part 135 and part 91 to answer that, but it's more uh, of an esoteric question for us um, to see if if um, enterprises you know, doing things like uh, transport or cargo or do get a buy or, or you know, I doubt they're going to get a buy when you look at the airworthiness requirements. This looks like right. full-fledged full -fledged aircraft, you know, logs, manuals. Uh, you know, meticulous uh, um, design that you have to get approved uh, by the uh, the FAA. So all the things that we don't like about the manufacturing aspects in the uh, remote ID uh, rules uh, certainly are in place for each of these uh, providers. But I mean, these are big companies flying big uh, big drones for long distances beyond visual line of sight. So we should uh, rightly expect that the you know, any and all uh, technology and regulations would be applicable. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, there's even just some interesting ones, you know, basically being able to to prove that the UAS can uh, take a lightning strike and still fly. Um, Yikes. I mean, like, that, that yeah. blew me away. I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and, then it, and then it's like, well, if it can't, then you have to put it into the flight manual that you cannot fly this in adverse weather conditions. <laughs> And I was just like, like, really, who's going to be, I mean, really? I wouldn't put my drone up when it's, I wouldn't be standing outside. I mean. I probably would. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, I, like, I probably have. Dan, <laughs> Dan, is, looking, yeah, Dan is looking forward to that uh, tornado flight. Yeah. Oh. He's, got, he's got the sacrificial uh, drone all lined, all lined up. Oh, even, if the cr even if the vehicle could take the hit. The pilot can't, like it's right? A, right? <laughs> <laughs> just like, well, you know, we have to certify the pilot. Uh, well, <laughs> pilot just dropped dead, so we don't know what the drone's doing. <laughs> well, if you're flying in no, your car, but... you should be fine, right? That's right. Well, just I mean, I think in the case of don't touch any metal. In the case of uh, these these uh, um, these airworthiness. Uh, uh, certifications these are going to be largely autonomous right yeah so, they'll be flying far away from any operator yeah so like the zipline drones they launch those uh and they fly to their destination autonomously and then they come back and they catch them in a in a, in a net so you know uh, a good chunk of these obviously would not be under that thing but <clears throat> within these uh airworthiness criteria would be the ability to dynamically retake control you know, over the aircraft in case of an emergency or or something like that. So pretty interesting. Um, let me, this is just one of the um, uh, airworthiness criteria. This is for, I think, 3D robotics. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's, uh, if you get the FAA um, emails, which I highly recommend because uh, they're, they're, <clears throat> usually fairly informational, uh, if not short and just, you know, a link pit, but at the same time, it's good to know, uh, that they're publishing this stuff and sending it out, um, to everybody who signs up for that and it's free. So there's that too. Um, let's see. Hey Kojo. Yeah. Hey, just got a quick comment for you guys. Um, so uh, as you guys know from, from a couple weeks ago, I, you know, I work a lot of the defense, you know, department, DOD type stuff. And right, right. A, a lot of the, um, a lot of the projects that we're doing, uh, or not a lot, I would say some of the projects that are coming up require us to go to over 55 pounds. Right. And, um, and that also falls into, you know, re requiring to get a special air within a certificate. Mm -hmm. um, because we're a civil operator, so there's a, uh, it goes into the weeds, but civil operator versus public operator. So, so we're most people are civil operators, and you have to go through a special airman certificate, which is that long process working with the FAA on, hey, how do I prove to you, FAA, that 
my UAS is airworthy, which is, mm -hmm. hey, I need to submit this, 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 that, all the things you mentioned, all the things that these companies have to go through, like Amazon. I, I saw the email and I saw, I went through the Amazon one a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it's it's the same kind of stuff, right? Uh, and we have to submit, uh, you know, all our, all the designs, electrical, mechanical, um, we've had to do some, like some, some of the, some of the projects have had to have to go through that process. I think we've only had two projects. One wasn't all the way successfully successful in getting their special airman certificate because of COVID, but one is on their way to getting it now. And like you said, you have to get an inspector to come out after you submit all that paperwork and they're good with that inspector has to come out and visually inspect it. Uh, and then he gives you the stamp, you know, the stamp oh, wow. approval. And then, um, you have to get a COA on top of that. COA is a little easier to get. Um, right. It doesn't take as long. But usually, my experience, we, we've gotten the COA first. And then as we're submitting all, I mean, and we're submitting all the paperwork on top of that. I'm just waiting for the guy to come out and basically. But that whole process has taken about a year. Right? Good grief. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, I, I always hi highly advise pro my projects uh within the company to say okay if you unless unless if uh you need this uas to be flying for a long period of time for years and in, in a few years span and uh uh you know um then then go through that rigorous process if not if not then go through um there go through a public operator and right. what's the definition of a public operator i had it took me forever to I really under try to figure this one out, and I probably don't understand 100%. But, but really, it's um, so it's a letter that an organization can get that says from the federal government uh, uh, that says you are you know you're a public operator, and there's some rules and limitations for that. Um, okay. Government institutions are also considered, I think, pu I think public operators. So, so sometimes, like if you want to go the route of, hey, you have a sponsor which is the let's say the navy in this case you know they can they would have to write a letter to our organization saying hey you know uh, you know they are a public operator on our behalf or something like that they could go that route not always is the case i mean there's mm -hmm. uh, i'm getting into the weeds now but there are already public operators out there such as in the maryland area that's where i live and um uh, it's called university of maryland uh uas test site mm -hmm. uh, is what its name is it's, it falls under the university but they're 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 sep they're located somewhere else anyway so um within maryland and and they're an organization that that deals with so apparently they can um take a project on and say okay we're going to do our own the fa entrusts them as a public operator to do their own independent airworthiness study or uh, or evaluation excuse me and what happens is that you basically give them whatever paperwork instead of the FAA and it's a lot you, you're a lot you get responses a lot faster it's a lot easier and within a month you can if you give them you give them all the paperwork within a month you can get your special uh, they'll submit on on their behalf because they're flying under under their status their public operator says on their behalf they'll submit it to the FAA and the FAA is pretty quick very quick uh, to to turn that around and, and approve it as a for a special airman certificate uh, essentially. okay and, yeah so, so um, I mean that 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 seems like a lot like uh, the FAA has kind of you know certified them to certify you know aircraft for airworthiness, and then you know if it goes through them, it just gets expedited essentially because the FAA is like, well, you went through the process that we already certified you for, so yeah, you know we'll go ahead and sign off on this, and, which and makes sense. And they they have a trusted relationship with them, obviously, with the FAA because they've they, they've you know these these companies have or these this organization has been doing this for a little while with fa so they they have all the uh, the process you know uh, you know laying flat and quick so and right, then they, right. they also um file for a coa for you and then you fly under their fly under them and the only caveat to this is that you have to they're they have an aviation safety officer is what they call it and you have to pay for that aviation safety officer to be there if you want to fly um under their coa plus right. Technically, uh, just one last thing is you're technically also because you're flying under their public operator status, 
you have to like lease the aircraft to them for like a penny or whatever, so, something like, oh, so yeah, it's something under like, there. yeah, yeah, just books. go under them. And it's like a certain amount of time. I think it's like 90 days or something like that. They're pretty easy about it. They're like, yeah, we, you know, you can, you know, we don't have to have the aircraft in hand. You guys can hold it. I mean, you guys can fly the whole thing. Like, it's just like a paperwork thing. They're holding sure. the deed essentially. Or yeah, the lease exactly. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which makes sense. So that, that's like the Definitely whole process. And yet, I mean, you're paying them for this, but they're relatively cheap when it comes to DOD type products. It's relatively cheap within, you know, I think it's like they've quoted me like, I don't know, 3,000, depending on how difficult your project is. Um, about three thousand um, for the air within study, and then COA is l a lot less than that yeah. for them to actually establish that. And but we're, when we're talking DOD dollar project, it's 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 like chump change, right? It's right, like, of course. Yeah, which is so. great to have that resource available if you're developing a commercial product or something like that, um, yeah. or you know you're looking to test a, a large scale, you know, something or other. Um, definitely great. Yeah. Well, thanks for the information. I appreciate that. Yeah. Anytime. All right. So uh, coming up next, I, I I think we did mention Amazon. You were looking at Amazon. So uh, Amazon has uh, done uh, some layoffs and reorganization of their Prime Air uh, organization. And um, they are kind of, you know, lowering the headcount, it seems like. And that might... Uh, to be a little bit around COVID, um, but they say they are still committed to the Prime Air project. So definitely interesting that you know they just got certified by the FAA for um, their uh, was it Beyond Visual Line of Sight, I think, um, Dave, and uh, and then uh, all of a sudden they lower the headcount there. So um, pretty interesting. Uh, that that's going on there. They must have needed yeah. all those people to get the certification from the FAA. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now they got that, now they're gone. Yeah, so Amazon, not a friend of recreational UAS. No. Google, Google, significant friend of to recreational. And their yes. Google Good. Google Wing has uh, released a, uh, uh, a new piece of software that uh, we can download and play with. It's called Sky Grid. It looks like it's uh, their first blush at a... Uh, uh, UTM, I, I haven't looked at it to see if it also incorporates uh, a lance capability. Would not surprise me. And uh, it, the uh, uh, Google uh, CEO is uh, leading the uh, the current um, tasking group under the DAC on the low altitude uh, work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what was that? Or... I, I think he's saying infiltrate. infiltrate. <laughs> there, he changed it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Say, yep, say that's it. What was that app called? <laughs> Sky Grid. S K Y G R I D. Red J just posted a link to it there. Yeah, that's is that the right one, Dave? Yes. It sure it sure is. Nice, nice. Okay. All right. These are, some, these are some great some good folks and many, many of the people in Wing are also UAS uh, operators. So yes. Okay, Kojo's. You mentioned um, Beyond Visual Line of Sight. I just had a question about that. Yeah. Uh, for like Amazon, how, how are, or just in general, I guess, how do they, I, I haven't read it all the way through like the, the paper that they that they showed us, but um, how are they solving the issue of, um, let's say they go Beyond Visual Line of Sight, they're delivering a package, you know, a few miles away. Mm -hmm. um, how are they, a couple questions, I guess, how are they maintaining uh, command and control link? So I would imagine you've got uh, one of two extremely viable options. One would be over uh, basically cell service um, where they can utilize that. Now, the problem with that uh, later on down the road, if, you know, for some reason, you know, I mean, I'm of the belief that drone delivery is, you know, is going to be a very finite thing. It's going to be very situational and it's not going to be, you know, as as proliferate as uh, a lot of people seem to think it's going to be. But at the same time, if you start scaling up those operations to massive amounts, you start inundating the uh, signal, uh, the the cell signal uh, capability of the towers. So right. if you don't, yeah, I mean, if you don't know, uh, cell towers obviously can only handle a certain amount of traffic per tower uh, before they start to 
basically deny service. Um, and this is uh, uh, heavily evidenced in uh, like natural disasters. Like if there's an earthquake or a hurricane and everybody's trying to contact their loved ones and whatnot, and the entire system just gets locked up. Um, so that's one way. The other way well, would be, oh, go ahead, Dave. Also, also specifically, each of these companies have to go through a, a process just like uh, Elias was uh, referencing a little earlier. And so they have to describe the risk that uh, their, uh, their mission uh, and their set of missions will uh, incorporate. And then how are they mitigating any of those risks? Uh, and see, uh, co command and control constant uh, contact is one of them, as well as what's the you know, disaster, how do, I, how do they handle uh, crashes, etc. And so ground stations are absolutely uh, part of the story in a lot of these, and so they have to have uh, ground radar or it's mul or it's um, multiple stations uh, beaming repeated signals up to, or it's uh, different uh, types of signals, or it's lidar, or it's satellite communications. You know, yeah, so that would be my next one. Would whole, be satellite. Yeah, a whole list of uh, a variety of uh, technologies. And as and Josh you know, was saying, the cell phone providers are definitely positioning themselves to be the 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 companies behind making this all the carriers. Work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, if, yeah, <laughs> yes, Verizon and AT and T and and all the, and T Mobile and all these companies are you know very involved in the uh, um, in, in this the process UT and then. Yeah. in creating UTMs and so they're creating software platforms that could drop in so they can be remote uh, what is it RSS or RUSS USS, yeah they're yeah, salivating at the idea of all these recreational drone operators needing to have cell phone connections right <laughs> yeah I mean, so where becomes... are we at with this technology right now I mean okay, yeah so there's there's cell towers uh, satellites um, and other options like where what has been tested what has actually worked do we know anything about that uh, I would imagine that that most uh, most of these different solutions have been tested. In fact, I know of uh, there's a couple of videos of um, even just amateur pilots, just somebody like us uh, using a cell phone signal to fly his DJI Parrot. Uh, was it a, was it a Parrot DJI? No, uh, it's, no, a, uh, it's a Parrot's a different one, but yeah, Parrot, yeah, uh, Parrot's a different one. But one of the yeah. uh, fixed wing, he flew between two islands in Hawaii. Um, using a cell phone signal. So, you know, even even recreational pilots have that capability. So, and, and um, like as Tech Jet said, how, how can they have cell phone signal great between two islands in Hawaii, but it doesn't work in his backyard? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. right. So, so the, in the 50, uh, as of late 2019, there were 50 beyond visual line of sight waivers uh, granted, and those are all, uh, the technology used is all public record plus the uh, reports from the uh, variety of IPPs uh, are available. Uh, I would suggest that the IPP documentation is not terribly enlightening. Yeah. Um, but uh, And what will be uh, important is uh, I would bet that very quickly after the remote ID uh, final rule is issued, uh, they the FAA will be issuing the beyond visual line of sight and flight over people uh, rules, and mm -hmm. I think that you know, then we'll we'll start to nail that down. So whenever I brief Part One Hundred Seven, I brief a couple different emergencies, right? I mean, there's loss of command and control and loss of GPS are the the two most popular or the two most prevalent prevalent ones, I guess. I mean, there are other mm -hmm. emergency scenarios I brief also, but those are the two that are just standard across any UAS, right? Right. Well. Um, I would suggest there's a third, which is the video. Oh, so right, it, yeah, video link going down. True, mm -hmm. yeah. Which is mm -hmm. definitely, I mean, that's, I mean, that may not be so much the case for a commercial uh, outfit, but for FPV and yeah. you know cinematography and that kind of thing, yep. that's definitely a, a big issue. That's it's true, absolutely. And you know, the, I will say the the uh, the first thing that goes out is going to be the video link, then command and control. But that, those things are going to be really far away. I mean, especially flying DJI. Well, I'm not talking FPV. I'm talking about like DJI because that's what I have experience with. And right. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, um, but so I guess the question, the last question on this topic is GPS. How are those companies dealing with? Okay, I get it. Command and control, RTH, right? Come back home. Right. Um, um, 
back to a lot long where it took off from, right? And so um, then, what about GPS? What, what what are they? How are they planning on fighting that? If they if they lose GPS, is it just going to land? Because um, it's not. It doesn't ideally. It, I don't know. It, oh. How does it know how to get back home? Hang on, hang on. It uses comp as long as your compass is correctly calibrated before you take off, and then yeah. it also takes a picture of the ground depending on the company. If DJI's, for example. They take a snapshot from above. So whenever you see it like flying back, and you may not like the height it flies back at, it may come back at like 100 feet above where you were. Right. Because it needs that snapshot location to figure out where the heck it's at. And and there is supposed to be a, um, uh, you know, a set of conditional uh, challenges, you know, that the uh, onboard program is going through that's uh, – determining do i have enough battery to get home and you know if yep. it's if it's really uh, um, in the dire straits then it needs to uh you know crash with a uh, a, a level of kinetic energy that is that was articulated in the uh, ANPRM documents early in 2019 which are ridiculous levels so yeah, essentially it has so it has low. to be a it has to be one you know, significant parachute or something of that nature that will slow it down or uh, make make a uh, you know a several pound uh, drone either slow down or uh, so it doesn't kill someone or uh, reduce the uh, the speed with something else. You know, so it either has to glide and slow down or it has to uh, be stopped like something like a parachute. The self-destruct is, work. <laughs> well, probably it, break it up into little pieces, probably right. So, tangible yeah. tech—that's a real thing. It, 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 it definitely is. But uh, I mean, and this is all this is all lined out in the uh, A in PRM from uh, the flight over people. So, uh, and like Dave was saying, the kinetic uh, velocities—they were taken from a completely uh, non-related study from NASA, I believe, on the uh, kinetic energy of uh, uh, a part that Deep. falls off an aircraft, yeah. right? right? So, right. and um, yeah. basically uh, a, a, a 650 gram drone would have to slow down to like three miles an hour for it to meet the standard. So, right. you know, right. it's pretty... And tech, and tech TextJet has a good uh, question. What does the military use for their drones? And so... There's a, uh, a fair amount of uh, publicly available uh, documentation for companies like um, uh, General Atomic, really some wonderful and wonderfully bright engineers up there. And they use a, a whole uh, series of uh, redundancies and all different sets of technologies. And of course, they are allowed to work on different uh, RF frequencies. So lots of different technologies in their aircraft so that they can ensure uh, maximum uptime for their c2 yeah. yeah i used to work global hawk by the way for northrop grumman oh, and, um, very cool yeah very cool. um we had we had both serial and what do we have inmarsat ku satcom we had uhf satcom <laughs> we had um line of sight links we had um both we had all kinds of we have like five different links uh, on the global hawk that we can that we can connect to plus i mean we're running off mission plan right so mm-hmm. and we can change I mean, we have a all these coordinates in the sky we can go to it, do, it does this pre-mission plan type thing but as a pilot we can just like you know we can Deviate. yeah we can say hey i want you to go to this point now or i want you to loiter around this point or i want you to we can do certain override commands you can't manually fly it like a you know like a reaper uh like, or like a predator like the general atomics guys can um so that's a more of an rpv versus a um you know global mm-hmm. hawk is more hands-off it's a keyboard autonomous mouse. yeah yeah more keyboard mouse type flying interesting so, um, interesting yeah so so back to that question gps if you're five miles away with an amazon drone how does it know if you lose gps how does it know how to get back home what what or what does it do so i would imagine like uh red jay was was kind of uh, talking about and again i'm not super familiar with dji products but i would imagine that it uh, uses its compass it uses its time flight its direction of flight that kind of thing to kind of compensate for the loss of gps red j would you kind of so, fill in yes. my blanks so talk about dji it could be like anything like custom well, building how, how do the custom builds do it right how do you i can't speak 
for custom builds. Uh, just remember, a lot of professional kits will have a DJI brain, basically, in there, for lack of a better term. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, mm -hmm. any DJI-based system, what they do is they use the compasses. You have to make sure it's calibrated ahead of time. A lot of people don't do that, so they rely only on the GPS. And if it fails without the compass being properly calibrated, which anybody who's flown DJI knows that happens, you have to basically have to calibrate every other flight. Um, you can have problems. But if you have the compass calibrated, it will... Uh, since the Mavic 1s, the Mavic Pros, uh, they take a snapshot from above. So while it's flying, right before it goes, you tell it to go somewhere, it takes a snapshot from above, it uses its compass, it uses time, as Kujo said, it uses time and direction. And it you will un, you will likely bite your nails if you have to use it, because it will just, it suddenly just goes up like an, uh, an arbitrary amount of feet, and then it pulls back. I've had it happen... Four times now. Uh, three of the times were very nerve-wracking. Uh, oh, I've, I've flown many, many, many hours on Mavic Pros, Mavic Minis, and uh, a few few dozen hours now on Mavic Pro 2s. Uh, um, very Amazon's cool. not using DJI, cool. though, right? No, they're probably using no, something very not. proprietary. Yeah. Custom-built stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's 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 where you get into, you know, and, and the process that they're having to go through now, which, which would be the aircraft certification or the airworthiness uh, certification would be resolving those kind of issues beforehand and providing solutions for those. So um, there's there's uh, if you if you look through what you said you did, um, there's there's definitely a bunch of scenarios that they have to provide uh, proof cases for. So, um but yeah, I mean, in in terms of you know small small form factor FPV style custom builds, I mean, you know, I'm not super well versed with like iNav and 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 uh, the return to home features within that. But from yeah. what I do know, is they're very, uh, uh, I guess, archaic when compared to something like a DJI. Rudimentary. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and the beta flight uh, return to home uses GPS exclusively. So if you drop all your yeah. uh, satellite links, you, you're you're just in trouble. And I mean, literally, I have GPS on zero of my drones. So right. yeah, same. It's here. not so something we, I utilize. We all, we all fly visual line of sight. We all have a visual observer. So it's really not an issue. <laughs> so. If you can, by the way, if you're specking out a vehicle for work, uh, don't forget another selling feature is dual GPS, dual compasses. Redundancy yeah. is useful. Of course, yeah. yeah redundancy yeah. is always useful. Apply the right. two quads, so when one crashes, you use the other one. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> yes, I like the Matrice 600. I fly a lot of the Matrice 600 Pros, which have three GPSs on board, which is awesome. Oh, good God. Aww. Three? Wow. Yeah. Yes, sir. The regular Mitri 600 has one only, but uh, if, for an extra $1,000, you get an extra two GPS. Oh, nice. Good yeah, break. the whole thing costs 5000 It's about five five thousand dollars for a 600 Pro. So good. we have, right. uh, yeah, dude, it, we, I saw one crash a couple days ago. Uh, some some kid, some new Part 107 guy, uh, was you know being extra macho and. And uh, he he landed it, but he is like to every drone is different, as you guys know, to turn off, arm and disarm and the way it flies and all that. And uh, he's rel relatively new. He landed it. He like uh, act he you have to basically hold the throttle straight down um, to turn it off for about it takes about two seconds to turn off. And he accidentally had some his right thumb hit, I guess was holding. The right stick in, in some kind of direction and the dj it, it, the matrice just flipped over and got destroyed so Oof, really. yeah I, that was not fun there was a um i was invited to attend a uh, leadership summit of the national press photographers association fascinating uh series of panel discussions one of the things was uh, they were talking about what the various press organizations do in terms of best practices. So they have uh, a couple of pilots or a handful or a large number of pilots. And how do they manage the, you know, the aircraft as well as the pilots? One of the guys was saying that they learned early on, to your, to your point, to make sure that everyone flew their own drone or they were assigned a drone and that became theirs. Because one guy was a gamer, and I didn't know this, 
but in game, you know, we I know mode two, which is okay. My uh, throttle and yaw is on the left stick, and uh, pitch and roll is on the right stick. Mm-hmm. And well, it's apparently in gaming or the game that he used, it was not only uh, mode one but inverse. And yep, so that's pretty common. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, Actually, so I wrote an article how... regarding just that. Ah, there you go. So. So his drone was set up like that, and needless to say, when other folks in the office used his drone, it was not a good story. So uh, interesting uh, tips that uh, folks are using uh, drones for uh, uh, for their business. Uh, they also described a, a, a flight book, and I've got a... Uh, uh, they shared the the contents of what they use, and so it, it sounded like good common sense as well as if you're a commercial uh, UAS pilot, then you're going to um, want to have some documentation if anyone approaches you. And so you know, yep. good. You know, like uh, there's a flight plan. I've got my certificates. I've here are my waivers. Here's the manual. You know, people here's call. My... Here's yeah, my maintenance was, logs. Here's my battery yeah. logs. Here's my uh, my here's my my log book for how many hours I I, I right. have. And for me, right. I'm a regular pilot, so I have to also show my regular Part 91 log book on top of that if I get inspected to make sure my yeah. biannual. I have to get be current in regular big airplanes and like Cessnas for me to, for me to be able to fly because that's that's the route I took. But right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to me, you know, for recreational, no, it doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but for yeah. even, you know, flying 107 and doing a smaller uh, piece of work sounded yeah. sensible from a, you know, there's looking good and doing good. And this had aspects of both. Yeah, man. I have a binder for all my operations, man. And I have all of that stuff in it for every flight I go do. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. And you have Excellent. to have your DC SFRA if you're in the uh, DC area within 60 miles or whatever a lot of people forget about that also that that, that they don't teach you that in part 107 <laughs> training um and every person i talk to like what what is that and you have to go on fasafety.gov and take that training also and have that certificate ready to be able to show to an inspector i, I was not aware of that either it's called a dc what's the name of it dc sfra special flight rules area you can go on yeah. safety, okay. fasafety.gov and it's a free training cool yeah, interesting. Cool. There's one for New York also. If you want to fly in the New York area, you have to do that one as well. Yeah. Okay. Who flies All part right. one seven here? Did anyone fly part one seven? Sorry, Kojo. Co- co- no, you're fine. There probably are. Am I the only one? Yep. Or... Okay. No, fly you're not. Right here. But you knew that. Probably. Yeah, Alex. Yeah, I mean Alex. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and we we encourage it because of course you can fly recreational for there you go text jet mm-hmm. another one oh seven. Um. Yeah, it, we we feel it's a prudent thing to go do. Makes you more aware, makes you uh, uh, a little understand what's going on a little more, and uh, it, it helps Gives us. Gives you more options. Yes, more options, and it uh, in, in the work we're doing, it allows us to uh, explain and you know, provide context. So mm-hmm. let's see. So I think uh, of the five of us, uh, um, uh, let's see, two of two of the five have our 107, and the three of us are delinquent and definitely <laughs> want to get our want to get our one. I'm one of the ones who does not have a uh, their yeah. So let's see. Um, all right. So I want to. Wow, uh, we've been at this for a minute. I do want to get to this uh, last article here. This is actually from Brendan Schulman. Uh, for those who don't know, he uh, works for DJI. Uh, a very intelligent guy. Uh, this is an excellent article. Um, I agree. Came well out, worth uh, the read. Yeah, it definitely was. Yeah. Uh, a couple of key things that uh, I do want to call out is the amount of uh, uh, data that they're they're coming through. So um, uh, I'll just read a little subset of this. But when you fly a DJI drone using the DJI Go or DJI Go Four. Uh, flight control apps, you have full control over your flight log and image data. Um, and there's a link there. Uh, if you don't know, there's been some uh, kind of issues, you know, not issues. Uh, people have issues with what DJI does with the data. And uh, he, there was an article that I went over a couple weeks ago uh, over what actually happens with that data and, and whatnot. 
But uh, at any rate, but also uh, you have the option to anonymously share basic user experience data with us so we can understand how our customers use our products and how we can improve them similar to what many tech companies do. Only about 35% of our users choose to do that, but that's enough to draw some conclusion. In the United States in 2019, the users who chose to share data with us conducted 9,632,454 flights, averaging 7.1 minutes each. So that's only 35% of their users. Uh, extrapolating from that 35% to our entire user base on DJI Go and DJI Go 4, we estimate they flew 27.5 million flights. Um, but that's not all. We conservatively estimated about 15% of DJI drone pilots use other flight control apps like DJI Fly, DJI Pilot, DJI Flight Hub, or software from uh, uh, our development kit partners such as Drone Deploy and Measure. Adjusting for that factor, we estimate DJI drones flew uh, 31.6 million flights just in the United States last year. Uh, plenty of people fly drones from other manufacturers. The FAA says DJI products comprise only 36% per of America's drone fleet. Taking that into account implies there were 87.8 million drone flights in the U.S. in 2019. If each of those flights averaged 7.1 minutes, like the DJI user experience data showed, that's a combined 10.3 million hours of drone flight. That's insane. Yeah, and that's the reason... The reason that he is extrapolating all this data is that, and, and this is just from you know his his data. Uh, the FAA actually says that um, uh, uh, their their estimates is that recreational pilots by themselves. This does not account any commercial pilots, any independent contractors, anything like that. News organizations, uh, film industry people, just recreational pilots, flew 18 million hours per year. And in all of that, we have not had a single fatality in in terms of uh, uh, of drones ever. And the the point that he's kind of extrapolating from all of this is that flying a drone is one of the safest things you could possibly do in in terms of aircraft. And uh, the reason that this is important, and, and this is something that Dave keeps bringing up, and with good reason is that uh, the FAA and, and any kind of regulations that come out of the FAA need to be uh, cognizant of the actual risk involved in the activity. And uh, it basically needs to be regulation by you know, level of risk. And in our case, you know, safest form of aviation seems to be getting the most, you know, with the exception of you know, manned aircraft itself, uh, the most regulation. So it, it's definitely a point that uh, Brendan really kind of drives home with his data and uh, definitely a good read uh, to uh, for the rest of the article. I, I definitely did want to um, pull out some of those numbers there. It's a great, great article. Yeah, and so, that pretty much also proves that the lower limit of 250 grams is sort of too low. Um, mm -hmm. I have the right. 2015 document where they kind of go over why they chose the 250 gram limit. Mm -hmm. And it, it basically says that at that limit, there would be approximately less than one ground fatality for every 20 million flight hours of SUAS. <laughs> and we're saying there's you know, at least 10 million or so every year of In flight hours. 10, 10 and 18 million yeah. hours per and year. And there's been none. Yeah. So Right, right. Right. This argument, tape measures on job sites higher than one floor should be heavily regulated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Because they could potentially fall yeah. once every 20 million hours or something. That's right. Yeah. My brother-in-law is yeah. a uh, well, got hard contractor. He'd be he'd signed up for, for that in a minute. Right. <laughs> Not. Yeah, to to, to, to uh, uh, state the obvious, DJI is also a, uh, a great supporter of recreational as well as commercial uh, UAE. Yes, uh, but uh, they are involved uh, in industry associations, in uh, working with Congress, working with the FAA. So they're busy, they're active, and they are really good supporters of recreational. Absolutely. Um, you know, I guess the 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 fun part about this is is that uh, you know we're we're 
we're an organization based on on a, you know trying to impact these regulations as best as possible and uh when people like dji provide the evidence that we can bring um and that they themselves are obviously bringing um it, it can definitely make an impact so um in fact i think in our remote id response we uh submitted that we raised the minimum threshold to a kilogram mm -hmm. uh, right. Right. uh so instead of that 200 arbitrary 250 grams. But at any rate, uh, I did want to share that because it was a great article. Brendan always puts out really great articles with really great data. Um, so uh, if you're ever served, nobody asks how safe drones are um, or tells you that they're dangerous. It gives you a great uh, path to direct them to um, uh, this data and, uh, you know, Kind of mitigate some of that so at any rate um dave you have anything I, else for us i do i had two things i wanted to add first is that uh we've welcomed alex suarez uh onto uh fpv fc you heard a couple of us reference five of us as opposed to four of us and so welcome to alex alex for those of you who don't know him is uh is a young man and i was thinking about this and and realized oh my goodness I'm not old enough to be Alex's father. I'm old enough to be his grandfather. <laughs> so that's that's important from the perspective of the, the gray hairs and the 40 years of working in a corporate business is good when I go talk to the FAA, when we want to attract young people and we're trying to understand you know, the relevance of what is the, what is it that we're working on? What does it have? How relevant is it to kids? Uh, Alex is a lot closer to that. And yet in his very... A brief period on the earth he's done a lot of a lot of things he is a oh, part 107 certified as we were talking about he's also got into uh drones recently uh respect you know comparatively and, and is already ranked 94th in multi-gp he is he is also a freshman in engineering at the uh in electrical engineering at the york college of you know, pennsylvania and as a mechanical engineer myself uh, any young person getting into engineering is wonderful, and uh, Alex has a, a complete pass to skip anything FPVFC related if it's uh, if his engineering schooling uh, uh, deems that. So that's uh, critically important, and we're tremendously proud that he is uh, an engineering student. Uh, and um, one of the one of the ways that we met Alex was that he works for the Global Air Drone Academy, and this is a wonderful not-for-profit organization that is working with kids. And Josh and I had the pleasure of presenting uh, to this organization, thanks to Alex, uh, back in the summer. And uh, the, the age group was eight years old to 14. So these kids are wonderful. And it was that organization that you, you saw a couple of uh, weeks ago um, that was asking, got a Q&A session with uh, Administrator Dixon of the FAA. So, yep, and that was Caden to... was one of those that asked that question about remote ID of yeah. the administrator. He sure was, yeah, an eleven-year-old uh, down at Nationals as well. And so, Alex, welcome. And uh, Alex will be focused as our youth advocate. And uh, the way we uh, divvy up the work is that we all try to do. Uh, there are only uh, only five of us, and so we all uh, we all do uh, bits of work, uh, but we all also all have our uh, specializations as well. That, that was one, and the other is I just wanted to wish everyone a, uh, a good Thanksgiving, happy, healthy, and please please stay safe and uh, uh, and enjoy the day tomorrow. Yeah, welcome I also to, do welcome wanna... to the team, Alex, and we'll have your bio on the website shortly. <laughs> Absolutely. I do also want to uh, thank GetFPV yesterday. Um, it's an organiz it's a company that I've uh, personally I've worked for, um, but uh, they have uh, done some, uh, they've reached out to us and endorsed the FPVFC. Um, they have links on their website that, that go to ours. Um, and Dave and I, if you haven't seen it, I think uh, Dan posted it uh, yesterday as it was ongoing. Uh, Dave and I did a uh, kind of interview with Big Russ over there uh, regarding remote ID and kind of the, the factors that could be an issue in the upcoming rules. So if you had haven't had a chance to check that out, uh, feel free to check that out. But uh, the guys over at GetFPV are are uh, great, and uh, we really appreciate them uh, stepping up to kind of help us get yeah, the word out. 
Yeah, they're they're encouraging folks to uh, become members of uh, FPVFC. They're uh, getting the word out not only on their webpage but out to their suppliers. So we're really grateful for their support. And Absolutely. if you haven't uh, haven't seen it, we've also got uh, Rotor Riot is uh, doing a similar thing, and this is an endorsement, uh, which uh, effectively says that uh, they they uh, support, support what it is that we're doing, and it's a a, a non uh, non contractual <laughs> partnership. So uh, definitely want to appreciate them. So, um, and with that, Dan, you got anything for us? Uh, I don't think I have anything new, no. And uh, anybody else, any questions, comments, or anything like that before we wrap up and let you all go and spend time with your family for the next couple of days? Wow, right at 9 o'clock even. Or well, 9 o'clock I know. my time, 10 o'clock Eastern. <laughs> one, one article I wanted to put in. Uh, right there oh, i put in yeah. last last meeting afterwards because it came out like the day before but uh this just goes over some things about how yeah. the fa needs to address competency training gaps yep specifically with uas so anyone's interested take a look at that yeah also this is, uh, I, oh go ahead. This, is, go ahead this this is interesting from a perspective of huh get a job with the faa you know there are there are some some great people uh, who work for the FAA and and work in the uh, uh, in the UAS uh, office, and so it's a uh, you know well you might cringe, but it, it's the work is interesting, and there are some great people there. And like TechJet says, that article specifically calls out the FAA's uh, need for competency for when it comes to UAS. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And we would agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do also want to uh, just give a quick reminder. uh, If any of you uh, originally registered as a recreational pilot uh, with the FAA when the rule first came out, like a long time ago, um, your registration is probably going to come up soon. I got a I personally got an email that mine's uh, due in the next 30 days. Uh, it's $5. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I got um, that email on the last week as well. Yeah, so I got it immediately. And so I know a lot of people's uh, uh, registration is coming up. So, uh, there, you know, when the rule when the rule got uh, challenged and they, they kind of uh, uh, put it on standby until they released the FAA reauthorization. Was it the FAA? Yeah, I think it was the FAA reauthorization where they, like, Oh no, it was a DOD thing, uh, where they actually put it back in. Um, everybody kind of got a free year, I think. Uh, and then I think they extended it this year for COVID stuff. They did. So yep. um, uh, it's definitely coming due for a lot of people. So don't forget I, that, just in case. As a, rem- as a reminder, that registration is you're registering yourself, the operator, not not the drones. And so you, yes, you put the same you put the same number on the outside of. Uh, of the drone different from a part 107 where you have to register each aircraft and please 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 go to the actual faa website the drone zone to do so there are other uh companies out there who are charging uh like triple the rate at 15 dollars. yeah so you please be careful of that go to the right website to do that um you don't want to give your information out to a bunch of randos so one more yeah. thing. What was the change to the, reg- to the markings? Sorry. Uh, the only change in the markings were that it has to be on the outside of the aircraft. It used to be that it could be on the yeah. inside, like in a battery bay. Um, right. And it has to be in a place that uh, whoever is inspecting that is not in danger of the drone harming them in any way. So you want to keep it uh, away from the propeller. And one other and thing so on, so about the registration is... Uh, something we got from the FAA safety team is yep. only 3.4% of pilots have re-registered so far, which is only yeah, about 30,000. Yep. Yeah, so keep good. that in mind. <laughs> Cause it's no, a lot, lot of people don't want to be registered. Yes. Huh. So, right. yeah. And as TextJet says, there's also a, a little identification card with your FAA registration number. That mm-hmm. is one of the things that would go in your binder. Yep. And I do, I do keep a digital version of it on my phone, so I can just pull it up on my phone. But um, along with along with your FPVFC safety guidelines. Yes, absolutely. There you go. Uh, so, um, yeah, I can yeah, definitely so, see why some people don't want to be registered. But in my opinion, I think 
it seems like the FAA uses that registration data to say, hey, I mean, there's not that many recreational people, so we can ignore them. So the more of us that do register, the better. But I don't right. know. It makes sense. I mean, your your point definitely makes sense, Dan, um, because we definitely want to be seen as uh, you know active and out there. Um, Five dollars isn't going to kill anybody, um, but you know I do understand. You know, some people don't want to, so. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force you to do anything, but I just wanted uh, everybody to be aware that if you did it when it first came out, you're probably too soon. So, um, at any rate, I I know I went five minutes over, but I feel like it was worth it. Um, it is good for three years, yes. Um, but uh, on that note, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, please be safe and eat lots of great things, and uh, yeah. So and catch you guys again in two more weeks. Yep, two more weeks. Take take care, everyone. Take care.